Come on in. Welcome. Greetings. Greetings. Welcome.
Beloved, I didn't muted myself. <laughs> I've been muted since the beginning of this show. For 20 minutes, I've been muted on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Keona Beloved. Thank you so much for being my second set of eyes. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it takes more than, than one person. It, it, it takes a village. Not just to raise a child, but to raise um, a technology idiot sometimes. So your your line is now open, beloved. Um, Keona, three, two, three. I had myself muted. <laughs> <laughs> For 19 minutes, I had myself muted. It, it's a lot, you know, it, it's a lot to pay attention to on, on this side of, of, of things. So mm-hmm. think, thank you. And talk. For and thank you. Yes, and and talk and stay on topic and not sound like you just rambling, you know, and, and be present and want to respond to my um, participants who are interacting and then get up and run and answer the door in, in the middle of things. It's a lot. To pay and bleach your hands. <laughs> it's a lot. Yes, yes. And but you're looking good. Thank you kindly. I'm just all is a blessing. All is a blessing. We should. We all should. And forgive me if I sound a little corny right now. Uh, I saw this repeated back earlier today on, on one in the morning program, that you've got to keep your routine. You've got to keep your routine. You, you can't let this this uh, uh, pandemic epidemic get you off your square, move you out of any sense that you're still walking towards your destiny, prevent you from accessing uh, the same things that you still might need to access to live every day, to move forward in your life every day. Um, I know for some of you who, you know, might be essential workers or, or, or just might be parents, you know, with a heavy load, um, and, and, and things always seem to be, you know, from one thing to the next. You, you never had a rest. You never had a break. You, you never had a vacation. I know there are others now who, you know, work the 40 the 50 or 60 hour job outside of the house and are not now not doing that. And so you might need that first week, you know, like a vacation to sort of download and, and get some sleep, you know, and, and catch up on your, on your napping and, and that sort of thing. But, but, but just like a summer vacation, just like taking a break from, from any career or any schooling schedule, you really have got to then get back into some sort of sort of schedule. And so so maybe you're not leaving the house now to go to work. But now that can be your prayer time, your study time, your meditation time, your time before your altar, if you will, if you will, your time now to start uh, an exercise regimen, you know, or, or incorporate and bring something new that you've been wanting to bring new, holistic, health-wise, wellness-oriented, spiritually-oriented, you know, bring that now into this present reality. But you got to get up and get dressed. You got to get up and get cute. You got to get up and put on your clothes, even if you aren't going anywhere, you know, even if you have no immediate destination or your your body and your spirit will begin to sort of that sedimentary pattern. I am witness number one to that, you know, in a normal setting, I spend way too much time in this chair. In a normal setting, I spend way too much time 
sitting and in consultation and being on the floor and, and, and doing divination. So I have to remind myself under normal circumstances to be active, to exercise, to move around, to stretch. So I know how easy it is to sort of slip into those patterns. Um, don't be so quick to eat up everything in the house. Some of you have more groceries in the house now than you've ever had in the house, more food now than you've ever had in the house, you know, preparing for an extended stay, uh, preparing for, you know, the, the meals that your your children, uh, for example, would have otherwise have been getting uh, at school, and, and now you're having to prepare that, you know, and take care of that uh, at home. So don't forget yourself in the process. And, and, and for those who are, who are apt to make excuses to not address, this is now the time to examine self. And, and I like the element as it relates to how we operate, how we think, how we sort of reason in the world. Uh, the mist is one of my favorite elements. Storm is one of my favorite elements. And I do well under pressure. I do well under sudden, sudden change and, and dramatic shifts you know, in climate and or lifestyle. And so we're all having to re-examine, re-look at how we live, how we do things now um, under new conditions, new conditions that are, are going to be around for a while. I know we're still getting mixed messages about, you know, how temporal or temporary this really is or is not, but this will be around for a while. Our mathematicians, our scientists, our medical professionals understand how long this is going to take. So so with any foresight at all, we're looking at at least a year before they get any sort of uh, uh, viral uh, <clears throat> soldier that can attack this or, or bake this or control this in, 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 any, in any way. So we must be willing to do the work. We all must be willing to do the work. I know it sounds like I repeat myself every day, but it's but it's a divine truth that that in ignoring the work and hoping the work goes away and hoping that by the time you come out of your nap this might pass is just not realistic. Just not realistic. And so when you come out of that altered state, you still come back to the reality. You you still come back to what we really have to face. Thank you so much, uh, Kiona, for helping me to unmute my mic. Greetings, Neophyte Bocor. Um, thank you so much for stopping in on your journey. Sean, Wynn, thank you so much. Danette Gibbs, I'm appreciating you right now. Keona D. Carter, thank you so much for moderating our, our live broadcast here. We appreciate your assistance and uh, uh, keeping the chat moving, but also keeping me moving in terms of uh, paying attention to what's happening. Greetings again, Andrea. Have I have I greeted everyone? Uh, Sadie, baby, virology. Greetings, greetings. Thank you so much for coming in. And please do remember to type your questions and comments in all capital letters so that I can. Um, see them and and distinguish them from the other communication. Yeah, um, Keona asked um, if someone wrongs, wrongs you. She said she has a tendency not to forgive them and remove myself. K 
can that cause blockages? It absolutely can. And particularly with people who might not otherwise find themselves to be so forward or so aggressive, particularly people who tend to take the path of love, particularly people who tend to deny, but particularly people who tend to fix, repair, um, nurture outside of themselves and, and not to nurture the, the self. Because that energy, like all energy, is, is eternal. That energy has to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. I'm more likely to say what's on my mind quickly, even if I'm not clear about what's on my mind. I'm more apt to question, am I wrong? Am I, am I getting the wrong message? You know, is there some breakdown in communication here? I think I heard you say, you know, I'm more apt to confront than to hold on to because I come from a background of holding on to and, and the detriments of what that can then turn into. And so when it doesn't immediately uh, manifest outwardly, you know, in your love life, in your career life, in your personal life, in your social life, uh, in your finances, you know, it then can, it can show up in other areas, in your health, you know, and how you're processing stress, for instance. And so there are all sorts of stresses, some stress that's healthy, stress there's a creative stress that, that's healthy, healthy for some people. Um, there are some people who are indeed wise for consulting, wise for counseling, wise for ministry, wired to be in EMS or, or central frontline, you know, medical workers who can then healthily process the amount of stress that they are personally under, but then that they absorb from, from the client, from the patient, from the, from the person that they have to nurture. Uh, each and every day. For someone who's not trained in in nurturing in particular, you know, just the the average codependent, the average enabler, the average loved one, family member who just may not necessarily know what to do with you and your stuff, not you, Keona, but but a particular individual um, and their stuff, and, and they can't speak up, they can't ask for help, they can't say, okay, I, I can't handle this, but let me get somebody who can. Energy absolutely will begin to affect you in your physical body, but also in your spirit body. Um, sometimes people equate things to be uh, the curse, to be bad luck, uh, to be uh, from, from, from the outside uh, perpetrator, uh, to, to be the victim, if you will, in this world of, of ghosts and goblins. Um, and, and not taking into account how real uh, our shadow is, how real the shadow world is. Um, we all have sort of had that experience where, you know, you think you heard something, you think you felt something, or, or, or you believe you experienced something just out the, out the range of your vision. But by the time your body catches up to it, there's nothing there. You know, there's nothing evident that anything happened. Sometimes we experience that even in our uh, sleep state or in your dream state, and you may suddenly find your soul, your spirit, rushing back into your body. And you, you wake up, you know, in a sweat and, 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 and breath uh, irregular and, and having been sure you heard something or, or experienced something. Um, it, it's, a, again, a physiological outward 
symptom of something that we all experience on some sub-level, some spirit level, some energetic level that we all share in common. And so if we don't do something with that joyful energy, if we don't do something with that excited energy, if we don't do something with that negative energy, it has to go somewhere. Um, and it's funny how many of us, those of you who have children, um, how easy we can sort of identify these, these things in children. We understand that if children get too much sugar or, or if children get too much, too much carbohydrates or if ch- children are allowed to sort of sit on and contain uh, uh, too much energy, um, that, that that can have negative repercussions. And so we create outlets for that. We, we create outlets to stimulate that. We create controlled, safe environments, you know, for the display of that. And, and even as we grow into uh, adolescence and, and even into adulthood, some people view athletics or sports or, or working out as an extension of their uh, ability to exercise energy, but both negative and positive energy. Um, we all have heard, you know, I'd, I'd rather go to the gym, you know, and get a punching bag, you know, and hit my partner or my spouse, you know, or, 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 or to blow up, you know, at work. There's always both literal and figurative ways to see and interpret and make sense of um, what I'm saying to multiple audiences, to multiple ears that might be both hearing and, and viewing us, but also experiencing you all's questions um, through what I'm sharing back uh, on the show. So holding on to anger, holding on to resentment, holding on to unfounded, unfounded fears um, can all be detrimental. Um, it, it can all have a, a toxic uh, negative repercussion uh, literally and figuratively. If not on your physical overall sense of well-being, then in, on your inner sense of, of well-being. And it's hard for anyone to tell me that they're spiritual. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what your path is. I don't, or lack thereof. I don't. I don't care what your philosophy is. It's hard for anyone to confess spirituality, to confess religiosity, to confess consciousness, even uh, if you want to separate yourself from from the religious spiritual uh, language, and and then not be able to self-identify and, and it's real easy to self to see ourselves self-identify to see ourselves and then see that reflected back to us in the world through people around us through, through our environment through inanimate objects particularly when it's positive it's somehow so much easier to see into that that positive dimensional space or at least the, the, the realm of dimensional space that inhabits uh, how we want to see ourselves, how we wish to see ourselves, how we would, would hope to, to envision ourselves, you know, in a, an immediate future realm of dimensional space, as opposed to what's truly real and organic. And that's why in many cases, we need a teacher, we need a leader, we need a mentor, uh, we, we need a tutor. Uh, we need someone to sort of walk us through uh, the process. How open would you be to your child saying, you know, I, I, I'm self-taught, 
I can learn this math and this English and, and this earth science on my own. Just point me in the direction of the library. And, and if you had an erudite child, if you had a, a child who, who was well-versed in the Dewey Decimal System, who, like my mama, uh, instilled in us, who, who you took to the library every Saturday uh, from the time they were born, and you went from reading to them and then them reading uh, for themselves, you might make some room for that. Some of you are homeschooling, and particularly now, everybody's homeschooling, right? And so you might make some, some room for that. But there still has to be some, some curriculum. There still has to be some, you know, organized, structured sense of what needs to be accomplished that the newcomer, I, I, whether it be the student, the young student or the older student, um, needs some sort of roadmap in which to follow, in which to sort of move them along so that you have check posts, so that you have roadmaps, so that you have a way of, of, of determining your progress, because even that can affect you spiritually, mentally, emotionally. When a student or a child gets no positive, excuse me, gets no positive reinforcement, only hears you can't do, only hears you're stupid or, or you're an idiot or, or why can't you figure this out? Then they begin to believe that outer language, that outer language then becomes their inner language and then reinforces their, their own inner language and then becomes their ultimate reality as they, as they move forward. So even the adult, even the 80 year old student, the 70 year old student needs some roadmark along the way for progress for assurance that they are meeting the task at hand to, to gain access to the information and or skill and knowledge uh, that, that one might be, might be seeking. So even if one is, uh, is resistant to the outside teacher, resistant to eldership, resistant to men mentorship, and really believes they can only do a quote-unquote self-taught, self-initiated, self-walked journey, you got almost every book in the Library of Congress <laughs> to read and to get through and to decipher and to make sense of on your own uh, within a, a, a short amount of years to do it in. I don't care if you have 100 years, 120 years of life. We often talk about books, by the way, on this show, and I always say that, you know, the number of books, that I would suggest the number of books that I've read um, just to try and put that in a list. Um, it's hard for me to even grasp my own mind around that because um, the minute you say, you know, these are the 10 books that are important, you know, then those are the only 10 books that some people are going to read. And then they're not even going to read them um, thoroughly. Do you read the cliff notes? Do you read the index? Do you read the table of contents? <laughs> do, you, do you read the introduction when you, when you read a book? How much do you pay attention to that? Of how, how much of, of, of importance is that information to you? Uh, and those are the sorts of things that um, our teachers and our professors um, have us to do, would want us to do, would guide us through in the course of a, a course or, or schooling or an instruction. 
and, and even then we expect them to already have a set, understood curriculum. And so they're still sort of zeroing in on, bullseyeing in on very specific points of reference while leaving the details up to you to sort of go through or not go through. And it's often on the quiz test, the pop test, the uh, 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 final exam that, that that sort of trickery <laughs> comes into play. Erico 832, welcome. Welcome, beloved. 832, your mic is now open. Who's calling and where are you calling from? Hi, it's Sandra Broner, or Hank Broner. Greetings, beloved. Thank you again for being active in the show and participating and calling in with your questions or comments. What's going on today? If I miss it, I still go back and have to watch the video and, like, kick myself because I wasn't able to comment. (laughs) Yes, and and I say it all the time that um, sometimes, you know, particularly before when we experienced a great deal of buffering, people would miss whole passages, whole minutes. I can tell by the minutes at the end that whole passages would be, you know, missing from the show. But I also strongly uh, advise even initiates, even my godchildren, even my students, even people who are getting a reading from me to absolutely document and record, document Mm -hmm. and record. That means take notes and audio or visually record, depending on how we're how we're doing the session, because um, no one is a computer. You know, even of the highest IQ, you're not going to remember every nuance. You can't stop and ask questions before you say them out loud, and still document and record at the same time. Uh, so, it's, so it's real useful to do them both. So, in this format. Of course, you know, we're asking our questions and we're interacting in sort of an organic way. But then there's always an opportunity to go back and, and listen to Walk Talk Radio archive or, or even view in archive. Here, even from a different understanding, something that we did not catch right in the moment. Right in the moment. Right. Um, right. I love catching up with your, um, with your, with your, with your uh, shows. Um, sometimes I binge watch them. If I miss one yesterday, I'll just go way back like years and watch some from a while back. But I had a question because um, I've been experiencing phantom smells, but it's not like normally it would be perfume. Like what I've researched, other people have experienced smelling sweet smells, perfume, or like their grandmother's perfume or cinnamon or tobacco. I smell seawater. And I've, I've I've gotten one reading with one specific woman about it, and she, um, whenever it happens, I feel like it's malevolent. I don't feel like it's a benevolent spirit. I don't feel like it's, like, a great thing. I feel like it's a warning. But I can't see anything, and I've meditated on it. I've tried to do a, certain, you know, a, a thing or two. I brought it to my ancestors. Uh, I, she thought that I, that my ancestors wanted seawater from me, from Yemenja, but I don't know exactly where it's coming from. I've tried to look it up. I don't know if I should just get with my ancestors and wait for the answer, but I want to know what it is. So is there any advice that you have for me in order to try to figure out what exactly they're trying to, spirit is trying to tell me when I smell seawater? Because I could be in a completely landlocked portion of the city. 
So I'm in the middle of South Park, and I'm smelling seawater. And I'm like, we're nowhere near the ocean. You know what I'm saying? So I just wanted to know what your take was on something like that happening. It, it is. We say ancestral. Sometimes when we, when we say ancestral, it's always about, you know, I, I talked about this briefly yesterday, how we negate the African context of reincarnation when we become so we think about Big Mama, Big Papa, those that came before. But because of how we sort of have been educated in the West, it's hard for us to sort of envision how ancestry plays into that. And even in African culture, um, a, a baby, a child is not named often for several days um, until you really have some opportunity to um, gain a sense of personality and, and character. Uh, is this child brand new, which is often not the case. You hear me say the, the storehouse of souls, for the most part, has, has been uh, almost depleted. So there are very few of us who, who come in who don't have a past life, a past earth experience, some per- past earth manifestation. So sometimes we sort of negate that or get that crossed up um, in the discussion and the uh, instruction about ancestral work and divination. Um, but you are experiencing more of a, like a past life regressive sort of thing. Um, and, and it's malevolent to you because um, it, it has a negative connotation for you. Um, much like okay. watermelon has a connotation for me. Um, I can't stand the smell of watermelon. Um, I can eat honeydew. I can handle the smell of honeydew. But the smell of watermelon since childhood has made me nauseous. Um, and in my attempt to sort of make sense of that, I, I did everything from um, past life regressive work to other forms of, of, of therapeutic um, of meditative um, and, and, and guided meditative work. And, and it always took me back to sort of this, this dark period in terms of my past life regressive um, history where I'm unable as desperately as I want to. Now, listen, this may not sound you know, make sense to some of you, but I'm going to say, but I've always desperately wanted to connect to slavery. And if I was there, had a past life in it, uh, if it existed from within my family, I, I wanted some memory of that, some, some knowledge of that. Um, and until this day, I've never been able to sort of have that, that experience except for this whole issue around watermelon. And it's malevolent, it's not benevolent, it's not positive. Um, and, and so through years of work, I've come to the understanding that I was lynched in a watermelon patch. And so um, I, I indeed, uh, you know, we hear this a lot in social media. I indeed would have been one of those that not only would have been lynched, killed, murdered, but, but it would, would have been done so several times over. Um, I, I don't seem to have ever survived beyond 20, 19, you know, in terms of me trying to really pull, um, you know, some past life regressive memory from, from slavery in particular. Uh, I have other thoughts and, and impressions and visions around antebellum time in history, antebellum South, but not quote-unquote slave memory. Um, indigenous memories. I have maroon memories, which would imply some connection 
to slavery, but none directly in association to me specifically. Um, so I may have even had an ancestor who was born during Maroonage and, and may not have been born necessarily within the confines of, of active active bondage, but existed in, still within that time period. And we now know that there are stories that, that speak to that, little-known stories, but documents, not stories, history, documents um, that speak to that. Um, St. Milo, who I acknowledge on June 19th every year, um, was a Maroon leader, one of the larger Maroon leaders here in, in the New Orleans, New Orleans area, so much so that there are still to this day areas that are named after St. Milo. Um, and so we're talking about a, a guy who came in and out of enslavement at Liberty, um, would, would go off into the swamp, go off into the Maroon camp, for long periods of time, but if they needed resources, the resources was in town, and so they would come back in town and and get them. We also know that there are documented uh, cases where um, slaves would escape on the weekend or, or during holiday periods or during seasons when when a particular master or, or a particular uh, uh, family would be away uh, during a particular time and would go see their their broken wives or broken families. Um, broken family, they broke wide broken family members, or, or go see you know the mother of, of their children or, or their own mothers, you know, in, in a faraway plantation in a faraway camp, um, risking being violated for doing so, risking some type right. of punishment um, for for doing so. So I often think about what level of punishment are we really willing to endure? What level of outing are, are we really willing to endure? Um, to, to say that we're operating authentically and truthfully and, and organically um, in hoodoo, root work, conjure, voodoo today. Um, hence, the, the wind behind my constant, you know, reference to, do your mama know you're doing that? Do your grandmama know you're doing that? Do your pastor know you're doing that? You know, do your imagination know you're doing this? You know, because we still are, are sort of walking in uh, interdimensional space. We, we're not under the threat of the lash of the whip anymore. You're not under the threat of, of, of um, literal lynching anymore for acknowledging African roots, for acknowledging indigenous roots. So why then in, in 2020 do we still hide it? Why then in 2020 are we still dabbling and dibbling in it? Why then in 2020 are we still saying that, you know, uh, the system is oppressive and, and, and everything about it is oppressive, but yet we walk right into it willingly, voluntarily for a check, to keep the lights on, to keep the bills paid, to maintain a job. Uh, I know this is something. And I've had many people um, along my journey who've also had to confront that, you know, when, when your spirit and your religion and your belief now really gets in between, you know, you and your job, are you and your livelihood, or, or you and your familiar or social connections that you believe that you have, how strong are they, you know, when you stand up in your, in your truth? How strong are they when you can speak your mind? How strong are they when you can 
really be organically and authentically who you are each and every day of the year, you know, without any reservations or or concern. Um, Quiet as it's kept, that's what some of you all's problem is with me. (laughs) I am so free, you can't stand it. I am so free, you can't stand it. I'm living in Voodoo 24 hours a day, every, every day. And I'm not at odds with my mama. I'm not at odds with anybody that matters. I'm, I'm not at odds with in terms of my, my ability to, to eat and to live, you know. And, and it's a place that many of us want to eventually be. Once upon a time, we thought that's what retirement would look like. You know, so I'll just commit 50 years and then I'll spend, you know, my remaining years, you know, traveling the world or spending time with my with my grandchildren, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we know even that plan, that program doesn't really exist, not for many people, not anymore, not only for the most privileged. And when we think of the most privileged in a, in a modern context, we're now talking about self-employable individuals. Self-employed individuals, but but also individuals with skills, talents, knowledge, degrees that afford them, uh, allow them some mobility uh, other than the traditional as it relates to to what they do, how they operate, how they live. Whoever whoever would have thought today an attorney would have seen a a future in television or a judge, you know, in, in television, in media. Uh, once upon a time, you were just an attorney or you were just a judge. And, and we saw that as white collar. We saw that as kind of square. We saw that as, as, as a limited, you know, few and, and, and not really of any entertainment value. I want to say somewhere around the O.J. Simpson, that, that all kind of changed. Isn't it the same time CNN was created <clears throat> during the O.J. Simpson trial? And news became entertainment, not just about gaining access to information. And this is a great segue to something else I want to talk about today, and that is still prevalent propaganda, rumors, nonsense as it relates to the virus. And let's be clear, this isn't unique to the virus. When we we look back over the decades, HIV, Ebola, uh, what was that, the, uh, West Nile, you know, there's always the conspiracy theory, the conspiracy theorists. And my theory is that the, the Internet and the technologies that we have today, our devices, now have given room and, and, and mobility to our conspiracy theorists in society that once was only limited to um, talking heads. Remember Max Headroom? Who, who interrupted uh, a news broadcast, you know, all these road uh, milestones and, and road markers uh, for me in terms of time, in terms of technology, uh, in terms of history and, and how the introduction of, of whether it be history or technology or just information has, has re-sculpted how we view ourselves and, and ultimately our, our world. I said yesterday, the macrocosm mirrors the microcosm. So, so on the outer level, we're all dealing with corona. We're all dealing with a world that's shifting, that's going back and forth between what's the right path and the wrong path to take, which ultimately 
is that agitated process that creates weather that will take us to wherever we plan to be um, in 22, 23, 25, uh, etc. Some of us, unfortunately, won't be here in 21, 22, 25, um, etc., contingent on what we do now, <laughs> contingent on what you do today. And so that's why the, the gravity of stepping into your truth today is so important. It's a scene, it's a, it's a, a note that sages and gurus and even preachers have sort of rallied to centuries. Uh, it's often been, you know, the world is coming to an end. It's the apocalypse. You know, yeah, you conspiracy theorists, you know. And now it's not necessarily God or the apocalypse, but now the apocalypse is man-made, or the, or the apocalypse is, is something of our own um, creation or our own, you know, in, invention. And sometimes anything, that they say sometimes truth is, is scarier than fiction. But sometimes anything that we can create seems more real, more evident, you know, than, than what's actually happening on the ground for the very reasons that I said at the beginning of the show, because the spirit realm is, is more real, more evident than anything that's really happening on the ground. So it doesn't matter what your belief is, what your conspiracy theory is or is not, uh, as long as you're addressing the truths, and, and the truths are the virus, <laughs> and, and the truths are how well you protect and care for yourself and your loved ones and the ones you love, um, in, in the environment that is a virus and, and understanding that that then has global worldwide implications. Even for the most selfish, selfish person under the sound of my voice right now. So maybe you are only in concerned about protecting yourself or your spouse or your pet. We, heard, we hear cats now, um, more cats, house cats now have, by the way, if you haven't heard that. Um, so maybe you are only concerned about protecting your pets and your children and your your household, but if you're still coming out into the world, if you're still going to the store, going to the gas station, going to work, and some of these non-essential uh, career choices, um, then you're you're undermining your own plan, and, and ultimately that of of a more global much larger community about the choices you make. I used to say back before all of this, um, I compared it to the cigarette butt. You know, you might say I'm only smoking and it's only affecting me, but your secondhand smoke affects the next person. But even if I'm not exposed to your secondhand smoke, every artificial cigarette butt that you throw to the ground, it goes into my sewer system, goes into my water goes into my oceans, goes into my rivers, goes into my streams. And so the macrocosm mirrors the microcosm. There's no way, no way to get around responsibility. There's no way to get around stewardship. There's no way to get around taking um, authority over that which you choose to possess, but also that which you possess innately, inherently divinely, or that which you have been gifted responsibility for. Uh, 
as is the case with uh, uh, you know children, animals, plants, you know, the like. <clears throat> Come on, y'all. Let me have your questions, your comments, your requests. Who do occultism got his DNA test back? Well, give thanks for that. Um, okay, he got the test back or the results. I'm going to assume we're talking about the, the results. results. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the DNA test results. <laughs> yeah, and when he has an opportunity, uh, beloved, you probably can hear me, um, and you've gone through it, um, we'd like to hear some, some details. Now, if you haven't considered, this will be the time to get your ancestor working divination done, uh, for sure. You now have that technological footprint to, to follow and acknowledge, along with that which, which has traditionally been done by way of divination and, and through spirit. But now you have some proof for all you who need proof. Now you have some hardcore statistics, some hardcore numbers, some hardcore facts um, in which to uh, operate from. And, and if you haven't done so um, already, you, you know, one act of homework leads to another. Um, make sure that someone else in your direct bloodline, in your direct lineage, uh, also has some, some test results. So by except for your mother or your father, um, if, if indeed your parents are, are still living, um, siblings, uh, buy a test for, for a sibling. Because remember now, um, every sibling does not contain every piece of, of the DNA puzzle. Some genes don't translate to every child. Uh, just like diabetes can skip a generation. Uh, heart problems can skip a generation. So if you have siblings, absolutely uh, get get their DNA input um, as well. You'll find that to be really, really beneficial. And those of you who, you know, baby daddies, baby mamas, step families, half families, um, you might want to look into this. Um, I, I, I said long ago that a, a side effect of the DNA uh, lineage test is the parental test. And, and indeed, it, it's not exactly a shortcut too, but those of us who know we have half-brothers and sisters, um, children uh, outside the family by way of the father or the mother, um, if anyone in that family, if, if the child themselves, if the sibling themselves um, has taken an a ancestry test, your, cro your crossroads will meet on these platforms, and I believe that's why who uh, do occultism, if you go into your uh, account, I'm not sure if you took 23andMe or Ancestry.com, I'm not sure which one you took, but if you go into your account, either one, there's a social component, a social media component there, where many people use their real name, some people use usernames, some people use a series of coded numbers and letters, um, even people that I know, I've got people in my family who I know exactly who it is, but they use encoded numbers and letters. Uh, for whatever reason, people are still wanting to sort of protect their anonymity. 
And I anticipate the, the time when there are so many people with DNA tests and DNA results um, and active participants, uh, participation on these sites that the racial and ethnic walls will have to come down. Uh, if not come down, at least the sheetrock is going to be pulled back um, uh, from it and, and expose uh, opportunities for us to step through in terms of our, our knowledge and our uh, awareness. Uh, that was one of the symbols that in the horror movie Candyman that stood out to me, uh, the symbolism and the usage of, of the vagina or the birth canal. Um, sometimes it was the birth canal. Sometimes it was the intestine. Sometimes it was just a portal or an inter-intra-dimensional doorway into another space. Uh, for those of you familiar with Candyman, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so the idea that knowledge, third eye opening, just one destination, uh, w- without indeed light falling um, on other things, on other uh, on other uh, uh, arenas, is part of the the thrill to knowledge, to knowing, to gaining access to information, um, to studying. Uh, Keona um, says that she lives in her head through daydreaming a lot. Um, people who live in the air do that. I, I do that. Well, I don't do it as much as I used to, um, I think, because I've matured um, spiritually. Um, and even with that, it's a bit of a, a misnomer. So let me reword that. Before, it was something that I was not in control of. And so we say, we, we call that daydream. Um, when you become conscious in your dream state, conscious of your meditative state, lucid, and even in trance state, then that becomes much more guided, much more specific, much more directed to a specific um, location, a, a, a specific uh, person, place, thing, subject matter. Uh, For instance, when you start utilizing that to go in and do your shadow work, for instance, um, it will take you back to those moments in time. Um, And the more lucid you are, the more open your third eye is, the more real those memories are for you, which is what makes it so difficult for some people to do shadow work because they don't want to feel they don't want to, that sense I'm being traumatized or I'm reliving the moment. Um, we, we use that kind of language all the time um, and then feel somehow disconnected from the actual process of doing spirit work, doing shadow work. Uh, and I often say, but your meditative or your prayer space, your quiet space is your safe space. But it's in the confines of that safe space that one consciously then goes back and walks through doing the work. Uh, Particularly the more traumatic it is, the more likely you are to discard anything helpful, useful, positive that might be within that event, within that moment, or even remotely connected to that moment. Because we then become consumed with the negative, the trauma, uh, the bad part. And so we don't remember. Um, I know there was a time there were whole sections of my childhood I could not remember. 
Um, there are whole sections of my childhood to this day my mother can't remember. Uh, trauma has a way of, of, of uh, and, and I don't want to just say trauma. Our body, I think, is even wired to um, assist us in all sorts of ways in the processing of information or the diversion of information that might harm us in some way, might be too much for us to handle in some way. Um, and so we develop other ways of, of looking at or not looking at, uh, whether consciously or not consciously, um, just to protect ourselves. So again, the idea that someone is conscious or, or spiritual or, or, or really actively doing their work suggests someone who's elevated to a place where they're able, they're mature, is the safest word I can think of right now. Mature enough to then walk through their dark side, walk through their shadow side, walk through some of the, the darker stuff, the negative stuff that indeed we like to push to the side and not think about anymore. Um, that's what separates people with the conscious from those without one. Um, people with the conscious, um, e- even if it's not outside their head, even if it's not being reverberated back to them from, from other people, remember what they do. Remember when they make a mistake. Remember when they're operating in their flesh or, or when they consciously just chose to do wrong. People with a, with a conscious, a conscious people of good constitution are, are going to walk right into that. Um, but people who have no constitution or do not have a, a decent constitution and, and do not have a conscious, I need to be careful about my, my grammar right now and my word usage. Um, they don't have that, that inner timing, that inner clock, that inner uh, sensation. And that's why I'm put off by the whole concept of, of sort of self-initiation. Uh, because if you are, you know, um, not conscious, not cognizant, um, not able to self-view honestly. Um, th- there's such thing as body dysmorphic syndrome. Uh, it's when an individual sees themselves as larger or smaller than what they really are, um, and then it shows up as eating disorders, mental health disorders, other um, problematic symptoms um, in their life. So, so people have spiritual uh, dysmorphic syndrome. And so people see themselves as holier than what they truly are, and, and, and people see themselves as, um, as as full of darkness and full of sin sometimes um, uh, in, in an unjustified uh, sort of way. People who are self-deprecating, you know, and, and, and only uh, think of themselves in, in the worst case uh, scenario, um, let alone have that then be reinforced somehow from, from culture, from society, um, from, from what we see every day on, on TV or, or then what we hear every day from, from within our, our environment and, and or our circle um, in some sort of way. Um, so be, be careful about um, the amount of time you spend in your head. But the amount of time in your head, spent, committed to what? That would be the question. And particularly when the negative comes, the low emotion comes, low energy comes, 
stray stuff um, that comes that's self-deprecating, that's chipping away at, at who and what you are, um, know that you have the conscious opportunity then to re-steer that, that ship in a different direction. That's not the same thing as being in denial or avoidance of our shadow side either or, or our shadow work. Sometimes that guilt is indeed not some necessary trigger-based outside um, expression, but our interpretation of that outside activity or expression through our own uh, inner filter. Oh, let's see. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The, uh, I'm, uh, Danette Gibbs want to know, how do you feel about a godparent being younger than you? Oh, yeah, I definitely wanted to respond to that question. Um, I saw it, and then by the time I looked back, it was gone. Um, in, the be- in the best case scenario, and some of you have heard me say this over the years, uh, we would not be disturbed. Your culture, your land, your people, your ethnic group, you know, your background, your history, your God, your ancestors would not be disturbed. So even in that modern context uh, of that, when, particularly when we look at places like Brazil, not just West Africa, but in the New World, Brazil, Cuba, Puerto Rico, um, Venezuela, and, and even in the U.S., when we see generational cultural practice and tradition, people being born generationally into a particular Past and or tradition. So even if we're looking at Christianity, even if we're looking at Islam, um, you know, we know child preachers, we know child soloists, um, we know child pianists and organists and, 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 and ministers of music. Um, I was one. Um, but we're talking about a child who then grows up hearing a certain thing. Um, and, and, and even then, the child still has to sort of mature into that being really their identity. Uh, because we then see a child at 12, 13, 14, 15, sometimes turn away from that upbringing, turn away from that background, or if not turn away from, set it aside for a minute and, and, and just want to experiment um, and or explore. So we're still talking about a level of maturity um, and, and unique individualness that has to come into play. Um, even as I answer that from an ATR perspective, I think about India and um, other cultures where you have child gods and child goddess. Uh, the Buddha, doesn't the Buddha reincarnate and, and, and move from human to human um, representing um reincarnation and sometimes it's a it's a it's a child who who is identified as as the buddha by way of certain characteristics certain behavior certain traits certain propensities uh certain um almost innate adaptations to certain things but then there's still a, a training process so um when you use the word godparent now you're being very specific. Now you're being nukumi sensoria specific. 
Um, they don't use that language in West Africa. They don't use that language in Benin or, or Togo. Um, not to say that there is no hierarchy, there is no order of profession. Indeed, there is. Um, you always acknowledge your elders and those who came before. So any idea of sort of reversing or, or moving cards out of position um, is sort of Western, it's uh, modern, um, and, and it's uh, often in a modern context, which is why I reference Hinduism. Um, there's a goddess, escapes me right now, there's a goddess that's born through a child, and they basically take this young girl's childhood and even into her puberty. I think once she comes into puberty, um, she can no longer hold the position of this goddess. And then it's sent back out into the world. But after being raised like royalty and treated like a goddess, you know, through your, your entire childhood, now you're 17, 18, and you're out back into the real world, um, we find that these women have problems marrying, these women have, have a problem moving on sometimes um, with their lives in, in other ways. So I still think, I don't know why I can't. Um, I don't know why I can't silence that. But um, yeah, so no, when we say God child, you're immediately pointing to some tradition. You're using code language. You, you not in, you know intentionally, but you're using a coded language for me that points specifically to particular path. And so, in that case, you know, if you if you're born in Cuba, for instance, and 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 you've been going to Misas and and Bimbe's and 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 have seen numerous initiations and and have sat, you know, several times over. Um, you might be qualified in terms of what your, uh, you know, ability, uh, uh, um, knowledge, um, encyclopedia of knowledge might be. Are you still mature enough um, in the position to teach older people uh, who, who, are, who have lived and are living, living life aspects that you can't even read, you can't even envision? Um, no, that that would seem problematic to me. And, and again, just my trying to make sense of it goes back to what I said a moment ago about it being um, a sort of a Western notion. Um, it's a Western notion that, you know, wow, I'm just so powerful at 18, 19, 20 that I'm prepared to now mentor 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old about life. It, it doesn't make sense in an indigenous sense. Um, who do occultism? Um, I don't understand what you mean why they don't consider your indigenous family in America. It's too many He's talking about his uh, like genealogy, like the lineage um, from, from um, when they came here, like after uh, post-slavery. He's saying that they didn't include, um, they didn't include them. But wouldn't that be like genealogy, and wouldn't that be separate than ancestry um, DNA, perhaps? 
No, we're talking about ancestors. Now, now you you open up a political can of worms. Um, you know, because now my my Hebrew Israelites and and my Moors and you know who, who are all on this sort of this indigenous we were here first thing. We were not all here first. That's the first thing. Um, secondly, um, going more into your question, I asked a little while back, what test did you take? And uh, I, I didn't get a response or, or I don't see the response because that's also important to my answer. Depending on what test you took, specifics about in, indigenous bloodlines and backgrounds are, are still in a state of evolution. Look at it this way. In the, in the evolutionary, in the times of the world, and we start talking about indigenous, we start talking about what's old, what's in the back of us, what was first, what came before. Um, and, and Keona said, and she might not admit to, but um, I heard post-slavery indigenous, and, and that's not quite the same thing as what I'm looking at when I see your question and what you're asking and you asking me why it's not on your test. So many of you think you're indigenous American. Many of you think you have engine hair. Many of you think, I mean, that's cultural. I'm not picking at you. That's cultural. That goes all the way back to slavery. When we were first taught to want to be and accept and identify with anything that's not anything that's not enslavable, for lack of a better word. Okay, so the the new concept that we are trying to somehow disconnect from our African ancestry is not a new concept. It's a concept, but it's not new. Now, let me make it just a little bit more personal, because I, I, I hear people saying. Well, my grandmama said, and my great-grandmama said, and no, my family said that we was indigenous. Well, so did mine. So did mine. So, too, did my family say that we were Indian. All, all my life, up until I, as the very first person in my family to take, to take the DNA, DNA test, discovered less than 1%. And when I took the DNA test, we're talking on... Um, 2007, they didn't have the number of copies. Copies is important for you to begin to understand people call Indian because it is the number of copies that determine their ability to have something to compare our lineage to. So that's why I said in terms of uh, timing, history, uh, timeline, when we say indigenous, when we say we were here before colonization, if you will, um, then, then we have to look at geological, geographical locations, um, and ethnic, and ethnic groups. And the truth is, is that during slavery and then post, you know, there, there might have been some mixing, some, some, some marrying in, some, some partnering up, and, and we even sometimes um, overpronounce that to some degree, how much inbreeding, I hate that word, um, how much inmarrying, childbearing happened between quote-unquote real indigenous folks and quote-unquote, so we know through Mardi Gras Indian culture, 
the maroon culture, that they assisted us in our journey. That doesn't necessarily mean that we married in or had children with. Everybody's story is not the yellow book behind the story. Forgive me, I meant the Pocahontas story, as it's told to us in business. Um, so so that's, that's important to know. What I found that what my family was saying was, quote, unquote, Indian, turned out to be Creole or biracial before there was the word biracial, a, a mixing of indigenous African and um, Euro, European blood. So the amount of quote-unquote indigenous blood may very well be um, heightened, may very well be overestimated in the conversation in your family versus what's really, really showing up in in the DNA test. Now, let me say this. um, That was 2007. Then we saw the technology advancing, and particularly in most recent years meaning them gaining access to more copies. Um, and some, some folks don't understand that either. Well, well my DNA is, test is changing, and, and, and how is that? Well, your, your test isn't changing. They're gaining greater access to more DNA. Um, and this DNA can be acquired, obviously, by blood, but also through archaeology when we're thinking about living gener- um, generations that no longer live. Um, um, time periods that, that no longer exist. Um, we know we have Egyptian blood because it shows up in my 23andMe specifically. Uh, but that's because, I mean, who's done more DNA tests and blood research and DNA, and DNA technology research than archaeologists as it relates to ancient Egypt? So, yeah, Ancient Egyptian is showing up readily and, and, and sooner in, in some of these DNA tests than indigenous is. Um, we do have a certain population of, of indigenous Americans still living, but, but again, how many, of, how many of us really have blood ties to those people? Let, let's, let's keep it real. We like to point to the Olmecs and, and other Negroids uh, Afrocentric-looking features, uh, uh, individuals, but they are often not the quote-unquote Native Americans or Indigenous Americans that we often envision. Uh, another tweaking of the DNA test is that I noticed that, particularly with Ancestry.com, the map because it, it has ethnic group and it has geology and, and then it has that map, and so. Previously, when it said um, Native American or not Native American, well, originally it did say Native American, and there was no map. And then it was Indigenous American, and then the map included everything from, like, as far north as you can go to, like, way south of of, of Brazil, deep into South America. Um, And then in the more recent months, I've seen it adjusted again on my map, particularly to now just a small portion of the southwestern region of the U.S. and a large portion of Mexico, um, and then a 
a greater region that extends maybe to just beyond Honduras. So, again, when we think indigenous Americans, that don't make you Apache. That don't make you Chicktaw. That don't make you, you know, uh, any of these, quote, unquote, Native Indian or Native American ethnic groups. Um, your indigenous blood could be south of the border. I know in my early years of study at the university level, um, when I studied Pan-African studies at the university level, that was my first awareness of the amount of, of, of African burial grounds in Mexico. When we go back in time, colonial, um, middle passage, enslavement, the largest numbers of uh, slave burial grounds and remains in archaeology that we can find documented is south of the border in Mexico. Um, I think that has to do with the large numbers of us that sort of process south before coming into the cotton fields and the sugarcane fields and et cetera um, here in, in, in the state um, uh, in terms of, of culturally, not, not individually, the, the introduction of a particular crop or, or a particular um, um, commodity in, in a particular region. But I also think that that has to do with um, the lack of space and care afforded to slaves. We know that slaves were treated extremely differently in, in the U.S. as opposed to Cuba, Haiti, Brazil. Not that it was, wasn't brutal everywhere. Not that it wasn't traumatic everywhere. But those of us who understand the history, who, who know the story, know that um, on a scale of things, some of the greatest in Brazil on just sheer scale of numbers, uh, but then in the U.S. in terms of just the sheer scale of, of diabolical nature um, and, and energy invested in, in the torture and, and enslavement and, and brutality um, of our people. So, again, there's, there's many influences that would affect why you're not seeing it in your chest or you're not seeing a whole great deal of it in your chest. And before you're so, so sure, certain about it, um, again, I would have your mother or your father take the test, and particularly the side of the family that is pronouncing, you know, this, this, this indigenous energy uh, on you that, that gives you for this sense that, that you should have this indigenous in your test. Um, though I wouldn't even go by facial features. Um, you know, my my great grandparents on my father's side look Indigenous American. By by any stretch of the imagination, they look Indigenous American, um, and, and they just aren't. They just aren't. And in fact, the paperwork that Ancestry.com is very good at marriage licenses, uh, birth certificates, death certificates, uh, U.S. Census uh, paperwork. Before my great grandparents on my father's side. My great-grandfather's father um, was listed as white. Both he and his wife were listed as white, and all of their children, including my great-grandfather, was listed as white. Um, he didn't start showing up as black 
in any paperwork or any documentation until he married my grandmother. And again, I, I have their pictures. I got them posted in, in social media somewhere. They look indigenous. They look Indian, uh, more so than how we identify black. I also think we've overused and over-politicized to some degree um, black racial um Specifications like black, white, um, red, or which I, I despise that terminology, red, yellow, um, even Creole. Um, what is Creole beyond a cultural nuance? Is it, it because when we start looking at ethnicity, we would call that biracial today. But when we look at it from a cultural perspective, language, culture, cooking, you know, tradition, um, it will be a cultural nuance more so than a racial nuance. What makes being Creole different from being biracial today, from having a black parent and having a white parent today? Culture, your name, how your last name is spelled and pronounced, how food, how food has been cooked in, in your family uh, as a tradition. Uh, and, and how that then uh, is it, passed down. So um, I, would, I would have to look at that from a very different perspective. Um, okay, well you say your okay again. You say your grandfather's family is from Oklahoma and all Native American. So again, where is your father's chest? And if your grandfather is still living, where is his test? And again, I, I, I ask that because, <clears throat> forgive me, <clears throat> because um, even if they're from even if they're from Oklahoma, does that make them indigenous just on the strength of? And what about all the white people over the years? Uh, not Elizabeth Warren, over the years, who um, who uh, still, to some degree, profess indigenous or Native American, and in some cases, you know, they can document it in in their in their DNA test. Um, in some cases. Uh, as with Elizabeth Warren, it's not showing up in their DNA test. So what makes her test any different from yours in terms of the authenticity of the the Native American presence in, in your family, legitimately, in, in your blood? Uh, and, and I'm not still not saying that it's not there. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that race and how we've been educated about race is just so con convoluted in the context of, of white supremacy, um, not just when we're, we're, when we're not talking about racialism. Um, no, when we are talking about race, racialism, how we think about race, how we apply race, whether it's in our heads, whether it's in our hearts, whether it's in our minds, and then how that, that shows up um, on the on the outside, um, I have a, a, a good friend 
family member with a Hispanic name, first and last name, um, spent most of her life disconnected from her her real identity. Didn't even know, you know, exactly where or who, you know, her mom and dad and et cetera were. I'm um, only to find out that she, you know, she was raised black. I want to throw that in there. So she's always identified as black. She never accepted biracial. She never accepted Creole. She never accepted Hispanic. Um, and then I convinced her to take the DNA test. Some of you all have seen the news broadcast video on my YouTube page. Um, only to find out that, okay, you're absolutely black and Puerto Rican. Um, one of the very things that when I said it, <laughs> she used a divination. She wasn't in a hurry to sort of buy into, oh, we just black. Well, well we just black. You know, and, and, and what separates Judge Joe Brown, who, whose name is Brown, from someone with a Martinez as a last name or a uh, Perez uh, as a last name, um, and, and even in how we pronounce Martinez, Martinez, is that Creole or is that Hispanic? Is that Latin or is that French? Uh, you know, uh, there's just so, so much um, convoluted understanding about race and racism and, and ethnicity that we also have to sort of weed through in, um, in trying to decipher uh, who and what we really are and particularly how it's showing up on these tests. Um, Erico 347, is that who do occultism? Or are you 318? No. No, how you doing? This is Brother Percy. Brother Percy, peace and blessings. What's your question or comment today? Well, the other day when we were on, uh, someone else had a similar situation to mine about the dream of initiation and sacrifice. I just want to know, could you touch on it just a little? You mean beyond what I said yesterday? I'm I'm not understanding. Well, I didn't really catch all of it yesterday. I was in transition after I got off the phone, so I tried to replay it back. And so I got a little gist of it, but you was like, don't take it for certain. You should still get a reading behind it or something. But, yes, I just want you to just touch up as yeah, best you can have, or not. You have no glossary to work from, to pull from. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're dreaming. And particularly when we try and then make it out to be about Orisha or Loa. And, and particularly when we're, as I described earlier in the show, um, not born of that culture, not born of that practice, not born of that tradition. And so, yeah, your subconscious mind is then throwing back to you the Orisha romance. Your conscious mind is then throwing back to you um, what you've been reading, what, you, what you're seeing, you know, what kind of, you know, movies you're watching. We, we are not born into or existing in um, a healthy enough environment, a holistic enough environment an organic enough environment as it relates to spirits, and particularly these spirits that, that we want to then latch a name on to. Um, again, when we start talking about initiation, you're talking about something very specific. Uh, it's rare that I get 
you know, I'm dreaming fire, I'm dreaming smoke, I'm dreaming water. Um, how does that show up for me? And then it speaks to uh, initiation or something very specific about an initiation. I'm finding that, that with us and this audience um, and, and those here and the Orisha Romance, um, we want to learn about Orisha, study about Orisha, then dream about Orisha, and then make that leap into I, I must be dreaming about initiation. And, and the truth is, if you have no, not been initiated, you have no idea what goes on in the initiation. You, you just don't. You just don't. And any, any Eastern star, any Mason, any Shriner under the sound of my voice has something to compare that to. You can read these books. You can watch these documentaries. You have no idea what's going on in the confines of those secret spaces if you're not there. You just don't. So a good author tell you, you know, it's this deity and it's this number and it's this color. And, you know, I, I was going through my library earlier today um, before I go to, to my next question. Um, and I'm looking through my Google library, my Google books, and, of course, they're presenting suggestions of books you know, to read, Yoruba Ritual and um, Old World and New uh, Africa's Ogun and, and, and just various different titles just, just jumped out at me. Um, Hoodoo, Voodoo and Conjure, Conjure in African-American Society. And many of these books I've read, um, there's one that's real popular right now that's making the... Uh, social media circuit called African Cosmology of the Bantu Congo by Kim Bwandende, Kia, Benseke, Fu, Kiau, PhD. And I read that in high school. That document, that book is drawn from a document that was written in 1980. I graduated high school in 1984. So when I speak to you about overnight, about Arisha romance, about, you know, not giving you full, complete answers. When people ask me, well, what book should I read? What's your book list? It's because too many of these books aren't giving you any new information, authentic information, if it is uh, I'll give you authentic information. And if it is authentic, it's not new. And so they're coloring it, personalizing it, moving it around, uh, painting it for, for a new, very enthusiastic audience, as is the case with African cosmology, which is only 20 pages long, too, by the way. It's only 20 pages long. I mean, it, it, was, it was created out of a, a university uh, document, a uh, university project uh, that that was being uh, uh, done, written, performed, you know, and, and then it gained popularity and, and now it's everywhere. But even when I look at it, beloved, they're not telling you anything. <laughs> they're not telling you anything. There's some language in there that we're not used to because it's not Yoruba. Okay, so it's Congo and, and we're not used to be Congo in terms of books, and I say that all the time on this show, um, the Yoruba are highly educated and prolific writers. 
and their national language is English. So we have easy access to that. We don't have easy access to typically to Bantu languages, to to a Congo derivative uh, linguistical systems, to to Akan and Fan and and Ewe and other languages. So this information then presents itself as brand new or, or exciting or just invigorating. Oh, this has got to be it. And and I went through it. It's only 20 pages long. I went through it again. They don't even give you deity identification. Now, he does make comparisons because one of the things that made him popular was his fluidity between Akan, Yoruba, uh, and, and other Bantu, Congo, something tradition. But he's not giving you anything. He's not giving you anything. And, and if you don't know that, meaning if you haven't done linguistical studies, archaeological studies, cultural studies about a specific people or group, then it's all French to you anyway. It's all Greek to you anyway. So, um, man, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm answering two questions at once. No, uh, uh, someone younger than you, and particularly we're talking, if, if both of you are under 40, 50, no, no. Uh, this, this young God, parents and young Ephi uh, uh, priests who don't live under this culture, who didn't grow up under this culture, who haven't had a lifetime to dedicate to just that, no. And the second part of that that I was responding to, um, uh, the caller just, just gave us that, that the more recent, um, Carl, are you still with me? Okay, I guess not. Let me open my blog talk radio so I can see. Uh, Keona has her hand raised, but no one else. Uh, Huda Kautism has his hand raised. Um, so I'm going to come to you next, Huda Kautism. But um, um, I, I lost my train of thought. What was his original question? That's why I wanted him to still be on the phone. Keona, what was his original question that last caller? Um, I forgot the question, but I know that you were talking about like the godparents um, that's under thirty, I mean, under forty, couldn't be um, right. That, the godparents, that, that, and then um, and then you were talking about the um, Yoruba people being highly educated and how. Um, yeah, I yeah, forgot that, myself because I really, I really didn't hear his question. To be honest with you. Because um, I couldn't hardly hear him. He was kind of low on my end. Yeah, I, I I heard him, and I heard him clearly in the moment. But, again, once I get to talking, and, and now I'm trying to pull back to the original question, um, I can't remember exactly how he worded that. Um, and he's not on the phones anymore. Um, who do a call is? Um, greetings, beloved. Thank you so much for calling. Uh, the dream of initiation is what they're saying in the chat. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. So if you haven't been initiated, you don't know what you're supposed to see. You don't know what you're supposed to dream. And you don't know what those dreams are then going to mean or or equate to or or symbolize. 
you, you're only comparing it to what you believe you know about Loai, what you believe you know about Orisha. Um, and many uh, of, of these powers don't manifest in, in human form in the way that they're dramatized in, in these books at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I hope I addressed your your question um, adequately, but um, no, it's a slippery slope, dangerous slope to assume that one is being taken through an initiatory process or even being given instruction about an initiatory process um, without that process being being involved. Um, Erico three one eight, your your mic is now open. Who's calling? Is that who do a call to? Yes, how you doing? All is a blessing in yourself. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, what I was saying is, uh, now I'm not denying that, uh, you know, I have African ancestry. In fact, um, I know that a lot of the uh, Native American or indigenous influence even migrated before um, migrated to America before slavery, um, <clears throat> and that can be the uh, that can still be the uh, uh, reason why it goes back to Nigeria and Mali. Because uh, if anyone knows, if the more you know, the Moorish people they always have the uh, talk about the ties to Mali. Um, and uh, that ten buck two area and stuff like that, um, but I was just giving you, uh, I was just giving you the percentages. Just wanted to let you know, really, really not doing no complaining. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just doing. I'm just worried about the research right now, trying to connect to my family. And you said, uh, do my dad. I don't know my dad. You know what I mean? He, he never was in my life. So that's the reason why I did the ancestry test to figure out who my father was and see if I have any sisters or not, because I don't have any sisters or brothers on my mom's side. So, uh, I'm you're the only child. You're throwing a lot out at me. Who knows who your father okay. was? Huh? Who? You said since they know who my father was. Since who knows? No, no, no. I didn't say. I said I was. I was trying to. I, I did a DNA test to try to figure out who my father was. That that side of the okay. Family. Okay. Now stop. If you don't know that side of the family or anybody from that side of the family, you you'll start uh-huh. to see that DNA test. Now, if your mother is alive, then you should have your mother take the test so that you can at least separate your mother's people, your mother's side of the family, from the relatives that are inadvertently going to show up as your dad's relatives. Uh, let's be clear. The test that you're holding right now and a whole list of your mama's people, your family's people, ab- your, your dad's people absolutely are on that test. You just can't separate who they are if your maternity, uh, maternal DNA has not been isolated. 
So if you if you if you don't have access to your dad, but you have access to your mom, then you need to test your mom and, and your mom's side of the family, so that you at least have a jumping off point to then be able to separate one side of the family from the other. That's why I said I had my, you know my mom take it, I had my sister Rapani take it, and I know um, that one of my uh, half brothers and sisters took the test. So that also helped us to clarify my dad's portion of the test versus my mom's portion. Um, but without that, you're still going to get just you're still getting gen- generality. Um, the, the more people that can take the test. That that you know, the better that helps your position um, in in terms of identifying w- one set from the other set. Something else you said that threw me, um, not intentionally, but it, it just throws me every time I hear. Anytime they say the more, my brain freezes um, because um, again, just like Egypt, just like other, you know aspects of our story, um, we've romanticized the Moors a great deal, a great deal. Um, and, and we aren't often willing to make a clear distinction when we start invoking the Moors between African culture and Arab culture. Now I'm much more apt to buy into and believe Moors' stories when someone has a Arabic footprint in their DNA, a Middle Eastern footprint in their DNA, an African footprint in their DNA, and, and then a, a Spanish or Italian even footprint in their in their DNA. How we then tie that back to the Americas is it, still a mystery to me. Um, and, and it's not that I haven't heard, you know, the, the explanations of how people have tried to, to sort of do that. I'm just suggesting it don't make any sense. And, and again, if we're connecting original here, here in the new world, then your bloodline would then be much more apt to be connected with the indigenous people who were already here, um, Mayan, Aztec. Uh, but even when we're looking at Cherokee and 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 Omaha's and and other um, ethnic tribal ethnic groups, we now have modern archaeological demonstration that shows that trail across the Bering Strait or the, or that footprint back to Asia. So why don't we leap to Asia? Why, why don't we still ride the Eurasia, Eurasiatic, you know, uh, uh, poem that or song that we sang back in the seventies and the eighties? That was popular in the seventies and the eighties. That we were Asiatic. That that we had that Eurasian, Euroasian, Asiatic, Aryan, Aryan background. That that then led us to. To Egypt that then led us to Kemet, uh, which was also borrowing from most archaeologists' perspective too. That sort of the, the beginnings of the world, the center of the world, some kind of how came down from Mesopotamia and made their way into the mother continent 
which goes against all archaeology. So um, I'm still not getting it. Triple of it, and I know you're not here to start an argument. Um, you made that clear, and 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 we're all still actively in the process of sort of learning it and piecing it together. But in my opinion, in my best, most qualified opinion, um, if it's not showing up, if it's not there or it's in very limited quantity, then what you all have, have been previously led to believe. Now, I, I would be really interested in seeing your DNHS myself. Um, funny, you got on the line and still didn't answer my question. You still didn't tell me who you had this DNA test performed by, what company performed this test. That, that helps me a great deal in knowing what you're looking at and in terms of what information is available to you. Um, I'm often asked, you know, which test is better or which test should I take first? You know, um, they're all completely different in some ways. Um, Ancestry.com is just not the same thing as 23andMe. Um, 23andMe is just not the same thing as uh, AfricanAncestry.com. And they don't all have access to the same number of copies in which they compare their blood samples. Thereby, they don't all have the same uh, information. Um, 23andMe also is, is heavily focused on biology and chemistry and, and, and diseases and health uh, issues and complications and, and, and characteristics that can travel generationally. So they do a great deal of, of, of work as it relates to pure ancestry. Uh, Ancestry.com, on the other hand, does a great deal with ancestry, but also does a better job at, at paperwork. Again, those legal documents that show up as a footprint along with the DNA to help us to uh, identify um, our family trees and, and, and bloodlines. Okay, forgive me. I didn't hear you say ancestry or I didn't see it typed. So, yeah, you can look at your timeline in Ancestry.com and also determine where your, your, your bloodline or your lineage was at a particular time in, in, in a point in history. But if I'm not mistaken, with Ancestry.com, you can't go back any further than, like, 1660. If you go to the bottom of the page, there's a bar down there, a time bar, I believe. And it, it's, it's separated by, by decade, by, by year. And I don't think you can go back any further than, than 1660 in Ancestry.com. Whereas, which would be right in the middle of the, uh, of the middle passage. Whereas with 23andMe, because of that biological health component, it's something about that that, it, that is allowing them access to archaeological footprints, which is why they tied me back to ancient Egypt and tied some of my earliest living ancestors to Asia, not Africa, to Asia. I understand there's a timeline of your family and how your family moved, how your t family traveled at, it, at any given point in history. Then there's the movement of history itself, um, the Moorish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, 
um, um, colonialism, um, the move of the uh, Catholic missionaries and, and, and coloniz- colonizing of the world. But you have to look at that history um, and, and, and then compare that to your DNA in order to even begin to get a, a, a clear demarker on many ethnic groups particularly ethnic groups that moved around or were forced to move around. Um, so that also has to uh, come into play in terms of, of making sense out of um, who your indigenous bloodlines are. I also find it curious, um, Keon, I'm looking at your Nigerian percentage and Mali percentage and Congo percentage, how many of this audience um, immediately goes to that African count, that African bloodline, and, and don't even want to talk about, don't even want to acknowledge um, the European and, and other um, ethnic groups that stand up in our charts. And it has everything to do with the trauma related to white supremacy and enslavement and, and the Middle Passage and, 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 and lynching and Jim Crow and, 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 and school busting and, and all the ways that that footprint still shows up and still manifests today. But we all want to go straight somehow to that, that African blood. And, and often we want to go to that African royal blood. Let's, let's talk about who was sold to whom. Uh, the, the Yoruba, for instance, uh, sold many people into enslavement. Um, just envelop many many people either directly into their cultural uh, way of doing things uh, or sold us off, transported us off in, into into uh, the middle passage. These are the kind of things that I would like to talk about. But I understand y'all y'all scared. Y- y'all still worried about candle magic and tarot cards. But 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 I get you. I understand. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm 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 seeing that. I was speaking matter of factly, Kiona, that generally speaking, we all are searching ancestry often for that indigenous connection or that uh, African connection, particularly if you are a person of color, because of all the other toxicities that are associated with our understanding of race and ethnicity and, and, and who we are um, here here in the West in particular. Um, so I, I didn't mean you personally. I meant in general, black people in general, people of color in general. Um, I don't find that quite as prevalent with our Latin community, our Hispanic community. I think in many ways, um, even through the Middle Passage, um, their family structure is not as, as broken up, and they're content with with the knowledge that they do have, that they do carry from generation to generation uh, about their family awareness, and they're often aware generationally uh, who great 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 grandma was, um, in a way that we cannot. Jews can often do the same. Asians, some some degree, can do the same. Now, when we consider people uh, who, who come from war-torn regions of the world, um, upheavals, uh, political and, and, and global upheavals 
that bring them to America, uh, even Asians, um, I find that they too lack that information. Cambodians lack some of that, that information and are trying to recreate or rebuild their story. But that part which is whole through, through the mother or the father or, or through their Asian ancestry in, in, in terms of like Cambodia, for instance, uh, as opposed to uh, the, the veteran blood that might exist within them. Uh, we saw that same thing with Korean um, war and Korean occupation. Um, and now uh, back when Mattel Williams was still on TV, uh, the, the talk show host, uh, Mattel, yeah, Mattel Williams uh, did a show I can remember where the Vietnamese and the Cambodians and were looking for their black and white veteran fathers, but their Asian and maternal lineage was was held um, was held in intact. Yeah, um, Hulu occultism. Um, I, I get that. <laughs> I get, yeah, and, and I, I assure you, your position at 26 on many things will be very different at 36, will, will be, be different more at 46, will, will be the different even more at 56, and particularly when you consider what technology might be available um, by the time you reach that age. Give me your questions or comments or requests. Let me check my phone lines. It's well after 2 o'clock. Eric code 610. Um, you're fortunate to have stayed with me on the phone line. So I can take your question, comment, or request. Eric code 610, your hand is raised. Who's calling and where Hello. are you calling from? Tata from Pennsylvania. Greetings, beloved. Huh? Greetings, beloved. Thank you for calling in. What is your question or comment? Um, okay, I heard you talk about spiritual dysmorphic disorder, and I struggle with that, you know. It's hard to, like, honor yourself, like, force of habit, you know. Like, it's hard to, like, be proud of yourself. Yeah, what is your question? Like, how can we uh, view ourselves, like, in a positive and honorable light? Well, um, there, there are many ways to to address that. Um, and we don't even have to – we can start mental health. We, we can start in terms of basic things that don't even cross over into voodoo uh, or hoodoo or, or root work or, or conjure for that matter. Uh, we're talking about basic mental health, and particularly here in the West. Um, I mentioned earlier on just the barrage of outside voices and influences, um, particularly with, with, with the Internet, um, in terms of uh, shaping and sculpting what a person may think or even believe about themselves. Um, and it starts first at, a, at an extremely personal level. Uh, the younger you are, the more it's about your peer group or, or just your relationship to your friends and, and your parents and, and what footprint or imprint they might leave uh, on, on your sense of self 
self-esteem, your sense of value, um, if you will. But but even for my older listeners um, who do come from broken, broken environments, um, who are still going through a, a healing process, it starts first with your language, your inner language. And, 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 and if you have to fake it, then you smile until, until you feel happy. You smile until you have reason uh, uh, to smile. You, you, you tell yourself you're going to be positive or you're going to fix or repair or change how you um, view yourself or see yourself um, until that absolutely kicks in for you. But then you have to be willing to do the work. And, and again, even uh, without entering religion or, or spirituality, uh, for that matter, um, what books you're reading, what amount of time and energy and dedication have you uh, given to education, uh, uh, edifying yourself, feeding yourself in terms of knowledge. Um, and I don't mean just, you know, high school, elementary school, college. What information really do you know um, about yourself? Um, and so keeping a journal, paying attention to your inner thoughts, paying attention to your inner language, your inner conversation, um, has everything to do with improving um, your sense of self, um, your sense of value, y- your sense of, of worth um, in a world that often only reinforces the negative, um, and, and particularly social media. Social media is not that particularly uh, positive, e- even when when the, positive, the post is positive, or, or the writer of the post might be positive. But, but then there's still that interaction uh, with the rest of the community, you know, that, that tends to always look for a reason to analyze or look for a reason to criticize or look for a reason to sort of pick apart um, what's being said or demonstrated at, at, any, given, at any given moment. Um, even on the best of positive posts, um, there, there's someone who not going to agree with it being a good day, who's not going to agree with it being a positive day. Um, and so you expose yourself to that, to that energy, to that, that toxin, often before we even leave our house, before we even pick up a phone um, or, or, or a device. Um, it's everywhere in the world. Um, ideas about race, ideas about sex, about sexual identity, both negative and, and positive are sort of reinforced at a push towards us uh, each and every day in, in, in unnatural, un, un, unhealthy, um, un, unorganic ways, um, um, super ideas uh, about positive affirmations that aren't real, that, that aren't um, obtainable, um, as well as the, the lower vibrating negative qualities that we reinforce um, through, through thought or through what we say, you know, about ourselves. Um, grandma used to say, and many of your grandmas did too, if you don't have anything positive to say, um, don't say anything at all. Um, but that also applies to how we self-communicate, what we have to say to and about ourselves inwardly plays a great role um, as well. Uh, give me your next questions, beloved. Please type them in all capital letters for me in the chat. Um, it's too late for new callers to enter my my phone line. 
um, unless you're already on the phone, you can then press the number one on your telephone keypad, and I will be more than happy to uh, open your mic and entertain your questions uh, by way of uh, those who are still and presently on the phone line. I am also trying to scan the questions in the chat. Um, Guinevere Reed has read numerous books from John Mason, Yoruba, Cuban priest, uh, Cuba, uh, Yoruba lecturer and author. Um, I've read many of the books. Um, I think to some degree, uh, John Mason's books do contain um, some more structure, some more truth in them than some books that I might find comparable. Um, and I'm hesitating right now because it's hard to sort of address this without calling out specific books, specific book authors. Um, there's a competitive nature, not that you meant it, not that you implied it, but there's a competitive nature embedded in the question. As a book author, I, I have respect for Mason, and I've quoted other Mason books here on live on air. Um, but I will say, as I say all the time, um, what books to read, I read all of them. Um, rightly, wrongly, good or bad, I, I, I read them all. You can't really begin to decipher for yourself the value of Mason's book if you have not read other things, if you have not been exposed to other things. And therefore, you, you would be over, overly reliant on my opinion or other people's opinion about that particular book that particular book author, that that you know particular uh, uh, individual, particular opinion about things. That's also why I, I mentioned earlier about how often do you read the introduction, the bibliography, the index, the introduction. Um, those few pages that often precede sort of the the bulk and nuts of a book. It often will give you truth about who these people really are, um, what their real motivation is for writing and or for writing that specific book or, or that specific title. Mason was more relevant at a time when there were no books, at a time where there were a limited number of books. Um, and most certainly a limited number of books that spoke directly to us um, or about us or, or for us or through us. I'm also cautious of the dominance of ATR-based books that are really Lukumi books or Fethoria-based books or, or Orisha books in terms of the African-American, for instance, on a journey of, of self-discovery and think that, that we do that Yoruba culture, for instance, or through, through Orisha culture, but then cannot distinguish what's Yoruba culture from what's Latin culture, or what's Cuban, or what's Puerto Ricanio, 
in terms of, 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 of a cultural practice and or tradition. Uh, many of those books, uh, Mason books, um, Gonzalez Whipper books, use a lot of language in the book that if you don't know any better, appears to be Yoruba and it's actually Spanish. Um, Misa, for instance, there's no Yoruba word for Misa. There just isn't. And so someone who's reading her books or other Spanish authored um, Arisha books and, and then sees that word, um, rogation, uh, limpia, um, you're, you're seeing Spanish words, Spanish language usage, Spanish cultural nuances that do not necessarily translate the same or equally um, into Yoruba, specific Yoruba, Nago Yoruba, West African Yoruba practice and, and or tradition. Um, I learned that early on in my discovery of herbs, plants, roots, airway, um, you're quick to get Latin in these books, Spanish in these books, depending on how, how expensive a book you have, Yoruba. Um, but they don't, they don't go out of their way to bring that into English often at all, often at all. So when you start tongue and, and, and using all these other um, coded words, St. John the Conqueror, root. Well, St. John the Conqueror has been applied to more than one plant and more than one species of plant. So if you don't really know the difference, you still ain't getting it with any clarity if, if you're reading it straight, you know, from out the book without any context in which to, in to in, in, you know, any context in which to back it up with, in which to um, compare it to. So, um, um, okay, uh, Guinevere Reed, you're saying a whole lot, but I'm, but I'm a, I'm going to respond to just what I think is your your question. Um, what would I recommend for you? I would recommend getting Gotham. And if indeed, um, I talk about this all the time, so, so this ain't me picking on you, um, but we hear every day as practitioners that my godparent died. We hear it all the time. We hear it all the time. And, and, and dates, decades, initiations, you know, all of that has to line up in terms of what would I advise a young person to do, seek godparents. Seek living, breathing godparents. Um, preferably over the age of 35, 45 in the best case scenario. Um, and then reacquaint yourself. Also, if you have godparents parents, godfather, godmother, et cetera, then they come from a community. So one wouldn't have a godfather and then be completely disconnected from the rest of that community. Um, who was his godfather? Who, who were his other godchildren? Who, who did they operate in with, in, in relationship, in relationship to, to the practice, to the tradition, um, to the community? So I, I would seek out new godparents. I would seek out new elders who are living, who are qualified, who are um, prepared to teach and or initiate 
Now, now some of the people who, who are writing the books that you are right now invoking in, in, the, in the chat don't initiate. Louisa Tess don't initiate. Louisa Tess don't give readings. Initiate, uh, uh, um, Louisa Tess don't do work, and particularly for other people. Um, she's written a very popular book. She's very active in the community. Louisa Tess shows up in New Orleans once, twice, three times a year. Um, but she's not actively operating an e-lay. She's not actively operating a house. Um, so you, you've got to seek people who are uh, then at Gibbs, I see you over the age of 50. I, I, I see you. And I might otherwise agree with you. Uh, but, but based on how I've mapped it out earlier, if a person has done the work you might find somebody at 40. You might find somebody at 45 if they've, if they've absolutely done the work. And the, and the work is always documentable. It's always documentable. Um, yeah, so, um, no, you're, listen, let me be clear. You're not going to find an active book writer, whether it's in Hoodoo, Root Work, Conjure, E5, five back, hold E5 off. But in almost every path, you're not going to find an active book writer living and relevant today who's actually practicing. Now, I hesitated when I said E5 because a robber, Ella Baboon, initiates, but a robber's in a show for Nigeria. He does have family. He does have a community that works back and forth between Nigeria and, and the U.S. But you're not going to study, work with him without going to Nigeria. It's just not going to happen. No one's going to say they're godchild of Araba El Baboon or any of his Awos or Ianifas who's never traveled to Nigeria. So, so he would be an exception that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, and there might be one or two who are a con. But again, you're going to travel to West Africa. Um, there are none now living out of Haiti. None. N- not one. Who, who, who's written books, who's qualified, wh- whose books would even make sense to you if you don't speak um, Haitian Creole and, and can read it. Um, no, you, you you would have to seek out some living elders, living godparents who are legitimately actively involved in the tradition, and have them take you on. And, and even in doing so, they are going to question your godparentage prior. Any kind of um, hand or implement that you might, you know, claim you have and want to bring along with you, anyone new is going to want to qualify that. I went through it more than once. They're going to want to qualify that. And so um, it's not easy. No, it's not an easy process. But um, you can read several books. You can study with, with, with several people. But in terms of addressing that, you know, who, who my godparents are 
um, yeah, that's going to have to be handled in real world time, beloved. You know, so I'm willing to help you with that. Weird Mafia, how long have you been initiated, Oya? Weird Mafia, how long have you been initiated, Oya? Because that has everything to do with things breaking. And that's not necessarily... um, a positive omen at all, especially from Oya. So I, I, w- I would need to know how did you receive your Oya? I see you said I'm working with Oya, so I'm giving you the opportunity to <laughs> to clarify that. Um, when did you actively receive an Oya, um, and how are you necessarily tying? the breaking of things to Oya. Um, there are much stronger deities that stand up in things breaking, particularly if you're invoking Orisha. So things breaking would not be, that would not be a good thing coming from Oya at all. So um, clarify that for me, beloved. Yeah, that's not a good sign. If, if Oya is breaking things or causing things to break, she, she may feel violated. Listen, no one, no one can work with Orisha without relationship. It's like me not knowing you and, and claiming we, we're in relationship. And cl- I, I, sh- I should be allowed to go in your purse. I should be allowed to look at your purse. I, I, I should I should be allowed to to go in your refrigerator. I should be go allowed to go into your 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 cabinet. So I would be very careful about associating the breaking of things with oh yeah at all. That's that's not good. That that, that would not be good. If a godchild, an authentically initiated godchild. Of oh yeah, told me that things are breaking. I would be very worried. I would be very alarmed, very alarmed. So I've said on the show before, and, and and weird mafia. I understand you might be a little bit new. Yeah, now your your propensity to breaking things easily that that's something else. But that doesn't. Again, forgive me. I because this is a pet peeve of mine. I don't know what book y'all been reading, but. The breaking of things has nothing to do with with Oya. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So thank you for that. Thank you for that clarification, beloved. Yeah, that that wouldn't that wouldn't be a good thing. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That wouldn't be a good thing. Sure, I'm here for you. Just just send me an email, private email. Um, there's some questions I want to ask you that is not would not be fair to ask you in a, in a public forum like this. Um, and then I I will figure things out. We'll we'll, fi- we'll figure things out. But um, 
be, be careful about suggesting that you're working with an Orisha that you don't have a real relationship with. That, that can be dangerous. That can be dangerous. Yeah, I'm not even sure what you mean when you, oh, okay, you, this, the things that are getting broken. Yeah. There could be other things happening. You too could have a spirit attachment. It could be an aggressive ancestral spirit. It could be all sorts of other reasons why that could be happening um, beyond just it being a recent or even low off for that matter. Um, because I get the same sort of response from others who believe that they, you know, are having some sort of interaction with, with a particular deity. And, and I said it just before you came in. When you start saying words like Arisha, Loa, you, you're now speaking into a very specific language, a, a very specific tradition. And so there, in, in that case, then there's very specific things that, that translate across the board. Yes, Rob Stone, please send me your um, your personal and private request. Uh, Keona has interjected the email address in the chat for you to reach out to me at divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com. Divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com. I am going to move forward. Uh, thank you kindly, um, Keona, for stating that and putting that in the chat for me. I, I need to eat. I need to re, uh, replenish. I need to uh, revive. And I look forward to being here with you again for another powerful rendition of Revolutionary Voodoo, New Orleans Voodoo Secrets and Recipes on Monday, 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 Monday. All is truly and indeed a blessing. I say, oh, I say.
Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us. Centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de gras cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate, a world harrowed by the beat, be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums, heart beat, heart beat, heart be at this place, at this place, be heart beat, be, be 
We beating place in new world space, beating being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk, our music the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together, circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end, connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be banza music and sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials, the bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out of us. But no matter... No matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day, a feel, a feel without shade, but dark, dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades, eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember. To beat, to be, beat, Congo Square, be, Congo Square, beat, be, beat, be.
Congo Square. B. Congo Square. B. 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 Remember. Dash of cayenne to the root. Gonna put on my Greek grease suit. Boil a gumbo hot and steady. Don't care if Freddy ready. Gonna pray at that old cemetery. Down on Claiborne where she's buried. Build a fire on the bayou When a black cat scratch at two Under a full moon that's blue Chant the magic words, Kufaru A dash of cayenne to the room Gonna put on my Greek grease suit Black top hat, black suit too, single rod that Moses through. I'm gonna get them bones out the graveyard for you. Can't see my eyes, black shades too. A dash of cayenne to the roof, gonna put on my grease. Black top hat, black suit too, same old ride that Moses threw. I'm gonna get them bones out the graveyard for you. Can't see my eyes, black shades too. Going free at the old cemetery, down on Claiborne where she's buried. A dash of cayenne. To the roof, gonna put on my Greek grease suit. Yeah, black top hat, black suit too. Same old ride that Moses threw. 
I'm gonna get them balls out the graveyard for you. Can't see my eyes, black sheets too. Gonna pray at that old cemetery. Down on Claiborne where she's buried. A dash of cayenne to the roof. Gonna put on my green, green suit. 